0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. This week, we are walking you through the flames of the building tension in America. Trump supporters are so hated they get kicked out of restaurants and random protests break out wherever Trump administration officials are spotted.
1: Hey, hey, go. Hey, hey,
2: go. Right now there's more Americans who feel that President Trump should be impeached than who approve of the job performance he's doing.
0: There's an uptick in hate crimes and acts of bias.
3: It's close to get your billy club and kill the other side if they're in the street. I'm really concerned.
0: And many say it's only going to get worse. But is this just the way America is? Politeness after all doesn't bring change. But how do we ensure there's not war in the streets. There are some skills and some tools you can use. We hear from experts on the balance between disobedience and destruction. Our Newsmaker of the Week was once an active hub in the anti-slavery movement. It was frequented by abolitionists like Frederick Douglass and Harriet Beecher Stowe. We want the township to step up. We want the county to step up. The threat by developers and the grassroots effort born to save this Plymouth meeting landmark. We'll be right back flashpoint is sponsored by the gift of life donor program organ donors save lives register today at donors1.org Welcome back to the Flashpoint podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus this week is the growing tension between the Trump administration, his supporters, and the rest of America. Philadelphia has seen a sharp uptick in hate crimes and acts of bias, and as the administration rolls out harsher policies, Trump officials have been booted out of restaurants and are greeted by protesters whenever they visit major cities. Let them go. That's from a rally against family separation at the border that took place when Vice President Mike Pence came to Philadelphia a couple weeks ago. Top lawmakers like Congresswoman Maxine Waters are encouraging the public to continue to act out. The message has to be Mr. President, we're not afraid of you. The president has snapped back.
3: She is a low. IQ individual, Maxine Waters.
0: And it's only getting worse. So, how do we encourage disobedience without creating mass destruction? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Rue Landau, executive director of the Philadelphia Commission on Human Relations. On the phone, we have David Pallant, communications professor at County College of Morris and Montclair State University. He's also a former staffer for the Howard Dean for America 2004 presidential campaign. And finally, we also have on the phone Will Bunch. He's a columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's the writer of the Attitude Opinion blog and he wrote a piece titled Bleak Civility. Uh, I just want to say before we begin our discussion that I did uh, invite and Renee Moore, Deputy Chairman of the Republican Party of Pennsylvania, had agreed and was scheduled to come and be on the show. And 10 minutes before we were set to start, she canceled because of alleged traffic. So thank you to everybody who showed up and welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. We are living at a time where almost anything goes. Whenever and wherever we see an extension of Donald Trump, there is civil disobedience Why are people so driven to this place? And Will, I will start with you because you wrote bleep civility.
2: Well, my argument is basically that people are driven to this place because um, people feel their voices aren't really being heard. We have a situation now and, you know, the polls aren't always 100 percent accurate. But uh, if you look at the polls uh, right now, there's more Americans who feel that President Trump should be impeached than who approve of the job performance he's doing. And yet when people try, uh, you know, and And protest and try and prevent his policies through more traditional means, there's just no outlet. I mean, we have a Republican Congress that's been created by years and years of gerrymandering so that Democrats have to win a national election by. Uh, at least eight points just to get a tie in Congress. So people feel underrepresented that way. I mean, people cert- certainly feel underrepresented by the fact that Hillary Clinton got three million more votes for president than Donald Trump. People feel that their anger isn't really being properly portrayed in, in some of the larger mainstream media and news outlets. So as a result, when there's a vacuum, you know, pressure seeks an opening. You know, when people feel that nobody else is confronting these Trump policies they disapprove of, and all of a sudden, here's a Trump official. Uh, sitting in a restaurant who they feel is responsible for putting, you know, three and four year old kids in cages down at the southern border. That's seen as an opportunity to do what they don't have an opportunity to do anywhere else, which is tell people how morally objectionable they find these policies.
0: Rue, I just want to bring you in this to this discussion and talk about the fact that, I mean, there's also on the other side, there's been an uptick in acts of bias. So it's not just the liberals that are pissed off. The, there's a lot of Trump supporters that are
1: pissed off too. Oh, absolutely. And the extent that some people were surprised at the Trump victory from the other side that was so quiet for so long and kind of did their more conservative acts quietly, maybe through donations and and whatnot, they are allowed now and they are coming out. And once, um, once Trump won, Uh, Here, even in Philadelphia, we have seen a tremendous upturn in acts of uh, hate crimes and bias incidents. Uh, We've had 127 incidents since November of 2016 through May of 2018. They're acts, they're racist, they're Islamophobic, they're homophobic and transphobic. It is some ugly stuff. And you could say that some of these folks are people who used to be quiet or were more quiet before and now have turned it up. And are, are speaking out in ways they feel like they have this license to do it. Now they can say what they've always wanted to say. Now they've got their person in the White House. And look what he's doing. He's up there as a standard kind of mirroring the behavior of uh, of what he wants to see on the ground. He, he's the one who's, who's setting out the standard of how you treat people.
0: Every time this, this past week. I mean, I was running from pillar to post running around the city because every there was a Supreme Court ruling that came down, protests erupted spontaneously in front of uh, City Hall. So I want to talk to David. Talk about the political messaging. How is this so different from the past that's stirring all this up?
3: The rhetoric obviously needs to tamp down a little, I think, on both sides. What I never thought in my life I would hear a president call the media the enemy of the people, which Joseph Stalin had used previously. People are responding to that rhetoric uh, with just as hateful rhetoric on the left side. Uh, I'm really concerned about the presidential election in 2020. It almost feels like political civil war. I don't see how the rhetoric's going to ramp down. I don't see how we backtrack, go back to an era where moderation was normal on each side. I fear that we see full-blown, not just street protests, but we now have billy clubs in our hands, and as Marshall McLuhan called, a retribalization of society. McLuhan talked about electronic media, and especially when people go to online forums, they're anonymous, there is no identity, but it feels like we want to turn on each other. We have pure hate. People that are mob mentality, literally, it feels like we are a tribal society and we've been tribalized
0: and And I want to bring will back in here because part of what your argument was this is how people used to, when America was founded. it wasn't a pretty situation,
2: yeah, I mean I mean, you can cite uh, a number of periods in American history, I mean. I mean the period I like to cite because it's more recent it was uh you know the late 1960s mm. you know, um people protesting the Vietnam war you had people going into draft board offices and 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 throwing blo- animal blood on on draft records mm. you know and that sort of thing you know and, and 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 then protests became even more violent than that and and uh you know civil rights I mean I think I mean it, I think it's important you know I I think I think martin luther king is the you know greatest american was who was on the planet during my lifetime and uh mm-hmm. you know i mean he talked about uh uh moderation as being the enemy of justice you know what he was trying to achieve and i think i think it's important uh we think about that you know i mean uh you know, you know, I, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, what I don't want to see and what nobody wants to see is either violence or, you know, some of the online harassment and. Bullying. Yeah. I mean, it's a fine line. I mean, how do you. Yeah. How do you protest injustice? I mean, the problem is with protesting is if you're too civil, no one's going to pay attention to your protests, you know, and civility is too often been used by. People in power leads to keep the status quo.
0: The number of guns <laughs> that people have bought. I mean, it's kind of scary because it could really get, you know,
1: heated and violent. And so you guys kind of quell disputes. We deal with neighbor disputes all the time, things that are happening in communities. None of this is new to us. The rhetoric and the hate and all of the, the, the bias and the prejudice are coming in to a large level. That's newer. That's happening right now. But... Um, it's always been there. We, uh, we work really hard to get people to listen to each other, to try to understand each other, to try to tamp it down. And it's, uh, you know, each case is going to be different that we handle, but they, there are some skills and some tools you can use. You shouldn't be judging somebody who's expressing their viewpoint. There's just got to be other ways in which we can learn to actually have conversation, to talk to each other, to hear each other. If people were actually taught Uh, like implicit bias training and anti-racism training and other ways in which they can have conflict resolution and resolving things. If we started that when people were young, it'd be a different society now where we'd be able to work out problems in different ways.
0: Yeah, because it's getting really crazy. And and I do. I mean, do you think the president could do anything to quell this? I mean, even our elected officials that kind of, you know, just bring the temperature down a little bit so that it doesn't do a rise to this level of, of war, all-out war?
3: I, I don't think President Trump, um, I don't think he's ever going to scale it down. Uh, his base is dependent upon that rhetoric to turn out the vote. So I, I, if he was going to do it, he would have done it a while ago. I think he's doubling down on it. It's getting worse, the rhetoric. It's close to get your billy club and kill the other side if they're in the street. So I'm really concerned that as we go into the 2020, not 2018, but the 2020 re-election of Donald Trump, his rhetoric will ramp up tenfold of what his first run was. That's where I think left and right, if they're caught in the street, we will see violence. Um, The other issue that we're missing here is people are living, they live in Fox, they live in MSNBC, or they live on blogs. These echo chambers, yeah. They're living in these forums, and they are anonymously attacking others. If we can take the media out and just have Fox or just have, uh, you know, Breitbart, uh, it, it could be very scary. And I'm, I'm concerned that there will be more targeted uh, yeah. attacks on media as we go forward.
0: Yeah, because, Renee, I remember in 2016 when uh, President Donald Trump was running and he came here to Philadelphia. He met with some of the African-American leaders here. Renee Amour was in that room and there was scores and scores of protesters that met them and shamed them. And so I want to talk about the shaming. This was before the man was elected. Is it right? I mean, the you know, people are entitled to their beliefs. Well, I know you said bleep civility and Renee's <laughs> not here, but I got to ask you. I mean, I mean, people were pissed that they were even on meet with him and you get shamed just for having a meeting with the president.
2: Yeah, I mean, huh. I think that's a little bit too far. I mean, I, even if you just test Trump, I mean, he needs to hear from more diverse voices. And that was a rare moment when he was actually doing that. So, 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 Mm -hmm. so so I hear you on that point, but you know, Dave reached an interesting point. I mean, he was talking about authoritarian streak, you know, when, when you have a president, he's calling the media, the enemies of the American people. And when, and when you have these rallies where people are encouraged, you know, the media is put in a cage in the center and people are encouraged to go up and yell at the reporters and, and, and all of those things. And, and the thing is, so, what's the appropriate response to something like that? I mean, the legacy of World War II and we all learned, you know, never again, you know, never again should we let a great country slip into into authoritarianism, basically. So mm-hmm. when, you, when you see that happening, I mean, what's the response? I mean, you've learned so many times about they came for the trade unions and nobody spoke up and who's going to speak Correct. up. So, you know, the question is, how do you properly raise the level of alarm and how do you speak up yeah. without, crossing that, without crossing that line? And
0: Rue, that's the question kind of to you because is responding with anger the way to do it? And, and there's a theory of dominance. Once you start dominating and there's more dominance it's, and it, it just kind of escalates, is it responding well. that way is it going to help? It I mean, you, well. you deal with these arguments. Have you seen? I know on a smaller scale in a neighborhood, it doesn't sound like it's going to end well.
1: It it does not usually end well. I mean, for the larger picture, I think it's important for people to see that protest should we shouldn't equate that with anger. And I think that in general, most of our protests, especially in Philadelphia, have been very civil. It's basic civil disobedience. It's easy. Um, And it's just people voicing their opinions, even when the signs say strong messages. Well, you're just sending a strong message back to someone who's sending it to us. I I
3: agree with that 100 percent. I think you're you're correct right on the money there. Is he
1: listening? Is anybody listening, though?
3: The problem I have with the shaming uh, is it's not just shaming. It's going a step further. So a friend of mine uh, is a PR director for a pretty large university in New York. I'll just leave it as that. One of the professors put out a list of ICE agents their home addresses and said, basically, go get them. What happened? Within a few hours, the mob online especially saw this and uh, started to have death threats against the professor and the university. That's that Billy Club mentality. It's shaming, I guess, and, and I guess it's a form of expression. It's not really dialogue. It's basically saying, go get them. That doesn't end well. I don't think anybody can support that. And
2: one, one thing we, I think we really have to address is, you know, how much the Internet has just facilitated so much of this. But I, some, Sorry, not something. to cut
3: you off, but I think, I think the reason that's happening is because Donald Trump's rhetoric has said, go get them. If it's the media, punch them in the face. Or go get Democrats. Uh, so, you know, this has been happening for two years. Now The other side's doing it, and the other side's reacting. So, I mean, we, we've, been nor- we've normalized not just hateful rhetoric, but you're different, go get them. So now that's happening, and it's going to happen more and more as we get close to this twenty twenty election. And I think that's a good point too. I mean, I think liberals feel like that they're in kind of a no win
2: situation where they can either, you know, say nothing or say things very blandly and civilly, and and be ignored and look weak, or they can try and fight back, and then they're then they're accused of being incivil. So you know, it's it's it's, it's kind of a no win situation. But the, the the other the other point I was going to make though is is just, um, uh, and and it's been kind of a. Subtext to a lot of what we've been talking about the last few minutes is just the way the internet and the, the ability yeah. people to to be anonymous. Because this is what this is what we deal with as journalists at the newspaper. I mean, I mean everybody should read uh, the recent columns that my amazing colleague at the at the Inquirer and Daily News, Helen Ubenis, uh, yes, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the type of harassment that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I get stuff, but it's nothing compared to what she gets because she's a Latina. Uh, you know, she's a, a female and she's mm-hmm. a, a woman of color, and just the level of harassment of bullying and like you said dave i mean that you know and, and this now this is like bleached all the way down to uh, community forums about daycare i mean it's just it's absurd and it, it's just unfortunate I mean, the, I mean the internet's done a lot of wonderful things too but i mean just the ability of people to, to bully other people and often anonymously
3: the shock is it was just children right and teenagers yeah. this cyberbullying now you have grown adults acting crazy yeah giving out addresses i agree with you will you civility for civility's sake is is useless but you you can't be giving out addresses and saying go get them this is crazy and this is
0: getting and that's the point because the temperature the heated temperature is not just trump supporters versus trump haters this is spilling into every aspect of society this turn up rhetoric i mean i had a friend who was verbally attacked at a airport you know racial slurs thrown at her this probably this wouldn't the, have happened yeah, two right. years After, ago.
3: You're right. After the election, you had people that, that, that were quiet, this silent majority, I guess who didn't have a sign-up, put the sign-up the day after, and yeah. then the kids stopped playing with the other kids right next door because they were Hillary Clinton supporters or Trump supporters. And this people is, within families, we did war. stories
0: yeah. about Thanksgiving fights yeah. during Thanksgiving between family yep. members because of this. We got to have civil dif- disobedience. We need messages out there. But our, we don't want people to get broken. punched in the face.
3: Our political parties are broke. Our, our infrastructure... And, 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 and I want Ru to... Out, but not enough.
0: And Ru, please jump in here. Yeah, How do this, We got to turn this
1: down. You do. And this is not just about politics. I mean, that is just, that's simplifying a larger issue of hundreds of years of racism and, and all of the other isms that have at the bedrock of America, unfortunately. We happen to have a president and a political party that is harnessing some of that and, and giving voice to people who had not spoken before. But you get the, the liberal progressive side can't take a moral high ground right now. It's it's too difficult. You're getting the, what's coming out at people is too strong. It's too harsh. It's too hateful, and it's too risky for their lives. Right? You've got uh, you know, Huckabee Sanders getting uh, kicked out of a restaurant in Virginia. Well, guess what? <laughs> There's been um, people for for years and years and years who have felt either unwelcome, uncomfortable, or denied service. And the truth is, in most of America, for example, you could be denied service because you're gay or lesbian or transgender. And interestingly enough, sexual orientation and gender identity are not included in our laws uh, for public accommodations in most of the country. She could have been kicked out because she's heterosexual. Yeah. So, you know, to to send the message to certain people of like, get a taste of what it's like to be in our shoes. I, I fully understand what people are doing and why they're doing it. We're talking tactics here. And how do we get this to tamp down? We're not getting the the, the messages tamped down from the other side. And and again, it's so hard to take a moral high ground in any way. But again, um, you know, really on on the base level, if you really want to try to bring even a debate down to something where people are listening and not punching each other, uh, it starts with real active listening. Really hearing what the other person is saying. Yeah, as your temperature
0: rises, as you listen. And because this is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up. And so my final question to everybody, American society is literally a volcano that could erupt where it spews lava and literally causes major damage to the fabric of our society that could last many, many years. What can we do as citizens? to ensure that that eruption does not happen and I'll start with Will and we'll end with you Rue
2: people need to feel they have a stake in the system i mean that means you have to have a true democracy where where people can participate and want to participate, we have to stop these things like voter ID and all these efforts to curtail people's voting rights. Mm-hmm. And we need to get people to vote. Hopefully, they, you know, if people participate, hopefully they'll elect politicians who listen. I think you'll see things toned down
3: if people feel like their voices are being heard. David, what needs I, to be done on this political yeah. rhetoric? You got to listen, actively listen. You have to be able to get people physically together more than online or on their phones or in their silos of media. You need people-powered politicians. You need people rising up with the right intention who are taking over state local governments or also over federal uh, positions. We are seeing many women running across the country. I think the 2018 election may change the look of of Congress. So Until we see that true participation levels, I think we're going to struggle there, where only a small minority of each side is battling it out uh, for control.
0: Yeah, and final word to you, Rue.
1: And I go back to start with uh, on the ground level, active listening, find areas of agreement when you can, try to distinguish between fact and opinion, seek inclusion for marginalized people and um, model more civil behavior while we're fighting individual bombs that keep coming to us is to keep our eye on this focus of what the guys were saying about trying to have a more inclusive democracy, but also trying to get people to see and dismantle systems of oppression that are keeping people out. And I think if we keep these systems up, Um, we're not going to fully be an inclusive society. And while we don't have an inclusive society, we're always going to have the uh, us versus them mentality.
0: Yeah, I feel like America is currently in a battle for its morality. Thank you to David Pallant. Thank you to Will Bunch. And thank you to Rue Landau. And Renee Amor, your seat was here. Sorry you couldn't make it, but I appreciate everybody for being on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. (laughs) Next up, 10 and a half acres in Plymouth, Meeting are home to a national treasure in the anti-slavery movement. We want the township to step up. We want the county to step up.
4: And injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere.
0: Grassroots effort to save a major hub on the Underground Railroad. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks, all. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, in Philadelphia, and its surrounding counties are rife with historical landmarks. And one such landmark is causing quite a stir in White Marsh Township. The Corson estate at the corner of Butler and Germantown Pikes and Plymouth meeting was a crucial hub along the Underground Railroad. It was a place where enslaved Americans could find food and shelter and ready themselves for the trek further north to freedom. The estate includes Abolition Hall, a meeting house visited by famous abolitionists like Frederick Douglass, the heirs who own the property have agreed to sell the 10 and a half acres to developer Kay Havnanian Homes. That organization is planning to build 67 townhomes on the property. And while they do not plan on tearing down Abolition Hall, or some of the adjacent structures, they do plan to build pretty close around it. Friends of Abolition Hall is a grassroots group formed to oppose the effort. It's made headlines in recent months. With me in the studio to discuss this Flashpoint is Sadele Zuv. She is leading the effort, as well as attorney Michael Cord, founder of Avenging the Ancestors. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having us. So just tell us, why is this property so important? Sure. It's a 10 and a half acre estate in the heart of the
5: historic village of Plymouth Meeting. This was a, a crossroads for fugitives who were fleeing the abomination of slavery. This was an active, very active stop on the Underground Railroad. The family that lived here, actually several generations of Malsby and Corson families, took the slaves in, conveyed them to the next safe house and also welcomed abolitionists of all stripes, all colors, into what they called Abolition Hall, which is a building that George Corson constructed in 1856 on his land, specifically so that abolitionists could meet without being concerned about being abused, subject to
0: physical or or verbal abuse. The developers are saying, OK, we understand these buildings are protected, but we just still want to be able to build around it. We'll leave those buildings there. Michael, why is this not enough?
4: When you look at the site, the buildings itself, it's not as if and I want to point specifically to Abolition Hall, It's not as if that was there in a vacuum. People who were trying to escape to freedom had to get to that location. And to get to that location, there are fields around that site. So to the extent that you say, "Okay, we're going to respect that particular building, but disrespect the site is an abomination. So from my standpoint, it's important not only to focus on the physical buildings, but the fields around. Otherwise, you're degrading the buildings. You're demeaning the buildings. You're desecrating the entire site.
0: It's not just Abolition Hall because there is a barn. There's other sites, but they're all protected, right? No,
5: they're not really. So they are listed on the National Register. There are, there are three structures on the 10 and a half acres that are on the National Register the Hovenden House, which is the little house at the corner, white stucco house with the maroon trim, the stone barn, which sits back a bit, about 50 feet perhaps behind the house, and then there's Abolition Hall, which is attached at the rear of the stone barn. So together, these structures are listed on the National Register of Historic Places, but it's not just the structures that are listed. It is the entire homestead, the, the entire 10 and a half acres is listed on the National Register, that does not afford any protections unless public dollars are used, specifically federal dollars, are used for any kind of redevelopment at this site. The only protection is afforded by the local historic district classification, and that subjects the property to review by something called the Historical Architectural Review Board, which is a joint citizen board made up of representatives from both Plymouth and White Marsh Townships. So any plan that comes forth with regard to the redevelopment, subdivision, or proposed demolition on this property is subject to their review. Unfortunately, they are merely advisory. So ultimately, the
0: buck stops with the White Marsh Township yeah. Board of
5: Supervisors.
0: Yeah, and they haven't made a decision on this, but zoom out a little mm-hmm. bit because it's not just a local place. This is a national Absolutely. You know, sp- site specifically linked to the anti-slavery movement.
4: That site, when we talk about Abolition Hall, was a major stop on the Underground Railroad. It's a place where Frederick Douglass rallied the Philadelphia area abolitionists. So this is an important location, not just locally, not just regionally, but nationally. So we need to make sure we respect and preserve it. It's bigger than the buildings. And that's why we make a big deal out of it, because historically it is a big deal. And as Sadell will explain... We're not anti-development.
0: And let's talk about that point because the heirs own this property. They're allowed to sell it and to tell a developer that, look, you can't do anything with it because there's these other properties. That means that people can't sell it right. and they can't. Mm. We respect private property rights. However, at the same time, the White
5: Marsh Township zoning code, the comprehensive plan in the open space plan, all provide protections for this piece of property. And we feel that at this point, given the proposed 67 townhouse development and subdivision, that that proposal does not comply with the township's codes or its plans.
0: And so I understand there have been multiple meetings monthly and, and folks packed the room. Absolutely. Overflowing out into the hallway. And so why do you think so many people are in on
4: this property? And injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So we say whether this was in Philadelphia or in White Marsh or in Alabama or in Georgia, wherever, if it's important historically to this country, to what this country has ultimately become, then we all need to be concerned about it. So it's not just a local issue. It's a regional issue. It's a national issue. And I'd argue even an international issue because of what America stands for. If we really stand for what we say we stand for, you have to hold up the type of traditions that came out of Frederick Douglass and the Underground Railroad.
0: And, and my concern, and the reason why I was interested in doing a segment on this is because this is an issue that comes up a lot in this region. Philadelphia is the first on mm-hmm. so many levels, mm-hmm. and there's so many pieces of land and buildings and artifacts that are found mm-hmm. here that are very important. So how do you balance this out, right. you know, and how do you deal with this? Have you sat down with the so, developer? Yeah. So w- the Friends of Abolition Hall actually came
5: up with an alternative site plan And the original proposal for this property uh, that the developer submitted to the township showed 48 townhouses. So we took that plan and we worked with our own people to come up with an alternative that reduced the the number of units from 48 to 38 and created a two-acre, what we're calling Plymouth Meeting Welcome Park, Uh, two acres immediately adjacent and to the north of Abolition Hall and the Stone Barn. Our idea was that the township could step up to the plate, use available funds through its open space fund to purchase either outright or to purchase an easement, conservation easement on those two acres Mm -hmm. to create this publicly accessible, protected in perpetuity welcome park that would include interpretive signage. We would like to see this developed as a heritage tourism site. What's interesting is that the county, Montgomery County, is in the process of assembling um, a link up through Plymouth Meeting to the cross county trail, mm-hmm. and it will emerge onto Butler Pike directly across the street from this property. So this would
0: fit in very nicely, absolutely. But the but the new the new development includes an adjacent um, property. It's not like they're trying to squeeze more squeeze more right. houses. They they right. they're they're seeking to purchase an adjacent property, right. which would allow them to build an additional. You know, that's 19 right. homes or whatever. And it would take it up to the 67. 67. Michael, you fight this all the time. Mm-hmm. You did it downtown. I mean, can you just shove this plan down their throats and in, make them do it?
4: I have to say that uh, I support the Friends of Abolition Hall, but I'm really surprised at their approach. They're much more reasonable than <laughs> I have been in my dealings with governmental authorities. I mean, we yelled and screamed and made demands like we did at Six and Market and ultimately yeah. got what we got. And I really applaud Saddell and Friends of Abolition Hall because they didn't really yell and scream. They said, hey, you know, how can we work out something that works for both sides, for the business interest and the historical interest. And I was pleasantly surprised. That's not my M.O., but I applaud her. Because so you would
0: have gone a little bit Yelled rowdier. and screamed
4: and hollered, but that's really not the way sometimes. Sometimes it's much more productive to do exactly what the Friends of Abolition Hall are doing. So far, it's moving in the right direction. Yeah. And
5: I will say that the developer has made some accommodations. So where the original plan shown townhouses being constructed... Almost smack up against the back of Abolition Hall in the stone barn. He's left that area open to some extent, but that's where we want the welcome park. He's put a gigantic stormwater basin in there. Yeah. Uh, so that doesn't work
0: for a welcome so park. So there has been some movement on there, their part. Yes,
5: and we had. And, and, you're,
0: and you're not and, saying that they should just do this for free. You're correct. saying that there is money that correct. could pay for this. Right, that and, the, ta- and move this the township
5: could step up to the plate and, and bring its bag of open space dollars to the table and say, look what we have here. You know, we've got a pot of money to help sweeten this. We're interested in seeing a welcome park. We're interested in seeing two acres preserved. We're interested in seeing a lower density. Yeah. So we want the township to step up. We want the county to step up. And we want the state of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, to step up. And I will say that our senator, State Senator
0: Vincent Hughes, is very interested in what's happening here. So there's hope. Yes, there is. Absolutely. Everybody's hopeful. So what are our next steps? The next meeting at um, within White Marsh Township is scheduled for July 19th at 7 p.m. Right. It's a public hearing
5: that mm-hmm. takes place during the course of the Board of Supervisors monthly meeting. Our township is governed by a Board of Supervisors. It functions a little bit like city council and the mayor all wrapped up in one. Yep. There are five people. They just all happen to be Democrats. And the buck stops with them. If people are interested, should they join in and, and where can they find you? They can find us, Plymouth Meeting Abolition Hall, on Facebook. Um, we also have a landing page on the website of Preservation Pennsylvania. That is a statewide advocacy group, nonprofit that's serving as our fiscal agent. Contributions are welcome and can be made through Preservation Pennsylvania.
0: And that's preservationpa.org. Correct. Any final words before we close this out?
4: I just love what the Friends of Abolition Hall are doing in general and what Sadell's doing in particular. I think her approach to resolving this is much more reasoned than mine would be, <laughs> but I applaud her efforts because they seem productive so far.
0: Thank you again to Sidel Zove, to Michael Cord, and you can check them out on PreservationPA. Also on Facebook, Plymouth Meeting Evolution Hall. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, a celebration of black art to transform individuals, create and build community, the 34-year-old tradition, the changes, and the organization behind it all. We'll be right back. Flashpoint, And I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KWW are all about community. And this week, we are highlighting a nonprofit whose sole mission is to make black art accessible to the masses. Art Sanctuary uses the power of Black art to transform individuals, create and build community, and foster cultural understanding. And this month, the group is celebrating its 20th anniversary, putting on its annual celebration of Black Arts Festival with 31 days of events throughout Philadelphia. With me in the studio to discuss their ongoing effort is Valerie Gay, Executive Director of Art Sanctuary. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Cherry, for having me. For people who have never heard of even though it's been going on, for thirty-four years, y'all. <laughs> right. If you've never heard of it, and right. and 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 its evolution over mm-hmm. the years, what does the celebration of Black Arts Festival do for the community, and and what is the purpose?
6: Sure. So our purpose is actually closely aligned to the purpose of Art Sanctuary, which is to use the power of Black art to transform individuals, create and build community, and foster cultural understanding. And through the Celebration of Black Arts Festival, which started 34 years ago by Larry Robin, who had an iconic bookstore called Robin's Bookstore, his store was the place to go if you wanted to buy a book written by a black author. This was before Amazon and internet buying. So Larry realized that... You know, the, he knew all of these amazing authors and he decided to just bring them together for a one day kind of gathering fellowship and kind of intellectual folks kind of talking to each other. Then other people heard about it and say, "Wait, can I come?" And so he he started this thing annually, and so it it grew from a one day festival in two thousand one. I like to say that he bequeathed it to Lorraine Carey and the Art Sanctuary. We grew it to about a five to seven day festival, mm. and then I came on board about six years ago, and then we pushed it out even further to a month long celebration. And so the purpose is: this is the place where people can get professional development. And the, the great thing about it is that it's free. You get world-class experience and exposure to the arts, um, the opportunity to make your own art. And again, for free. So for example, we will have poetry workshops about telling your own story. We have folks like Roy McFarlane, who is the poet laureate from Birmingham, England, coming over to do two poetry workshops. We have music writing workshop with Grammy Award producer and songwriter Carvin Higgins. Love him. Love him. We have Max Rodriguez coming in from the Harlem Book Fair and Left Lane Books. And so when folks register, they get to um, say where they are in their manuscript writing process. They can bring their manuscript and actually get the review of a publisher who may, in fact, sign someone that day, which is amazing. We also have opportunities for children. We have a kids day where we have our teaching artists who will be in and creating projects with youth. So there'll be something for everyone. Also dance workshops. This is the first time we're incorporating dance workshops right in our gallery. We're also doing African eccentric yoga. This is really exciting because for our community, again, by making it free to everyone, we are making this art accessible to everyone. And I'm really proud of what we are showing this year because we also will have a film festival in partnership with um, the African-American Museum in Philadelphia. It's going to be a six hour extravaganza where we will be featuring films by and about HBCUs. So students and alumni from shorts up to a full feature film and a panel discussion. The entire event will culminate on July 28th. With Art Sanctuary's 20th birthday party, a two mural dedication, and our festival party. So it's going to be an extravaganza block party right outside of our gallery. And it's going to start at 6 p.m. So it's going to be a night party. Wonderful. So excited. We feel that when people come into our space they can see the beautiful exhibit that's on the walls. Yeah, because I went down there. And yes. It's, a, it's yes. a celebration
0: of music. It's a celebration yeah. of
6: music. Um, and, and it was celebrating Black Music Month, which was in June. We extended it through the Celebration of Black Arts Festival so folks can come down and see a photo of Patti LaBelle, for example, meeting Lena Horne for the first time and Miles Davis and um, Tito Puente and Celia Cruz. And it's amazing. And one of the photos, my favorite photo, I think, of all time is June 7th, yeah. 1979, um, the White House, President Carter, then president, deemed June as Black Music Month. And he's sitting. He's sitting on the lawn while everyone else, all of these Black musicians, are sitting at tables. And it's one of the first times that, you know, if you just look at the photo, yeah. it has so many meanings. So it's so beautiful to see. But then when you see the, the, the most humble, man. humble yeah. man, the most powerful man. On the planet, right, like arguably sitting in a place of honor, actually honoring these other folks by sitting on the lawn and allowing them to sit at the table. Yeah. It's just a really powerful, it brings tears to my eyes to see that it doesn't matter. And this is a part of the festival. It doesn't matter your quote unquote status in life. We are all humans. And we all de- deserve the dignity yes. of exploring, of of exploring your own humanity. And th- we feel that that can happen through the arts. That is amazing. There's so much going There's on so throughout going the on. month,
0: all sorts of things. And of course, you guys are accepting donations, and we are accepting work. donations. So I just want to say thank you to Valerie Gay, and I'm so excited for the celebration of Black Arts Festival 34 years. Yes, you guys are at our sanctuary, keeping this alive and strong. Things going on throughout the month of July. Check out the mm-hmm. website, yes, which is artsanctuary.org. Wonderful. The big culminating event is a birthday and festival block party on July twenty eighth. It's a Saturday night. Yeah, lots of fun. Thank you so yes. much, Valerie, oh, for thank being you, here Jerry. Thank and talking you. about the wonderful work that you all at Art Sanctuary are doing. Thank you. That's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter at Flashpoint Show and let us know what you think. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the show by using the radio.com app, iTunes, or whatever platform you use to get your pods. You can find us by searching Flashpoint KYW. There's an issue that makes you hot under the collar. Let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As Henry David Thoreau once said, disobedience is the true foundation of liberty. The obedient must be slaves. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.